From Central Source and the Fifth Element Podcast Network, this is In Search of Source, a celebration of the writers who are saving music journalism from death by clickbait. My name is Ryan Gore, I'm a writer at Central Source on the website right now, other than a really cool series that you hear about later. You can check out our end of year content, everyone in Central Source wrote a blur about the album going through 2020. It's uh, yeah, really cool, a lot of different Ryan styles come together in a really cool way. Um, on the podcast with me, we have Mickey Hellebeck. What's going on everybody, happy new year. Um, hyped to be doing our first uh, podcast of the new year on a topic we're really excited to talk about. Um, you can check out, as far as recent pieces go, my recent interview with Danny Lay, as well as um, a few, well one's already out, but a few are also coming out new, Why We Like It Pieces for Central Sauce on the website. And Mickey, uh, not Mickey Hellerback again, Brandon Hill. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, also Mickey Hellerback, and <laughs> go Baltimore. No, this is um, this is Brandon Hill, managing editor at Central Sauce. Um, as far as recent stuff I've done, I guess it's not super recent, but this is the first podcast episode I've been able to talk about it. So my OK Player feature story on Open Mike Eagle. Um, about how the game Dark Souls inspired the world building that he used on Brick Body Kids Still Daydream. Um, and then I sort of wrapped that into how he's facing adversity on anime trauma and divorce. Uh, really, a piece I'm really proud of. You should check it out. It's on OK Player. You can also find it in my newsletter uh, through my writing profile in the link in my bio on Twitter at Hoopla Hill. Yeah, I'm really proud of that piece too. Um, Ryan was a huge help speak- on that. Huge help. Yeah, man. It was. It's basically my piece. So, <laughs> Brand, no, Brandon no. is me, and Brandon's piece is Ryan's. Ryan sells <laughs> sells bylines. Uh, speaking of pieces we haven't been able to plug since, like, they came out. Uh, Mickey and I did a Kid Cudi piece. Oh, so right, yeah. that's crazy that we haven't wrap. been able to plug that on the pod yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mickey, wrap, Mickey, wrap them up for the wrap, wrap that one up for them. Oh yeah. So uh, me and Ryan had a. a a kind of back and forth discussion on our Slack channel about um, the Kid Cudi album. And we kind of came to the conclusion that I really um, had more of an appreciation for the first half of the album while he had an appreciation for the second half. Um, and it kind of had to do with our um, just general taste and Kid Cudi fandom and how we kind of sectionalize it. Uh, and so, yeah, we wrote a collaborative piece, which is kind of our... Uh, different take on the kind of standard album review and doing it from two different perspectives with two different ideas about the music um, and showing kind of what our best version of the album uh, would sound like. Uh, yeah, so we're, we're both really proud of that piece. Um, so definitely check it out on the site. Yeah, something really unique, I think. We haven't really seen anything else do something like that. So yeah. Yeah, Ryan, talk something that cool. shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Okay, so... <clears throat> Today's episode is, uh, I guess, really different from what we usually do in the sense that all three pieces we have are about the same topic, uh, a topic that's just been dominating music conversation, I guess, hip-hop conversation uh, since the new year, and that is the passing of one of the greatest of all time, MF Doom. Um, 
And I was really passionate about wanting to do this episode, not only because so many people put so many great dedications to Doom, but because I wanted to use all the platforms I had to just um, give flowers, you know, to one of my favourite MCs ever, someone who's massively influenced by Ida Wright, the music taste I have, and a lot of the favourite artists I listen to today. And um, I guess going along with Central Source's Doom content, I'll hand it over to Brandon so he can talk about something we're doing on the website right now. Yeah, so I think uh, first I want to touch on something big that you said about how you've wanted to use every platform you have possible to, you know, sort of promote Doom content. Um, And that's been a really big thing for me as well, going from where I was at when Mac Miller died and not really having a sort of outlet to like process that, you know, like I wasn't, Mm -hmm. I wasn't, I didn't have bylines, you know, I wasn't working with Central Sauce. I, you know, I, I had a few friends to talk to, but I wasn't able to put any like creative energy behind, you know, processing his death. And when with MF Doom's death, that's been, you know, a really big thing for me is now like being positioned as a music journalist, being positioned like in my role at Central Sauce, um, you know, I've been able to like actively do something and like put energy behind something. And it's been a really cathartic experience, uh, but none more so than editing uh, Connor Herbert's series on Doom that we've been running on Central Sauce. Um, And so, you know, I really just wanted to first touch on his series because the way that Connor writes has always, he usually does these big sample dives on Central Sauce um, that are these huge historic compilations of you know, the influence of music and how that all can sort of be wrapped together in one hip hop album. So he has this like really historic archival approach. And when we learned about Doom passing, he dropped this 12 and a half thousand word novel on the history of MF Doom, like his origin. Um, And so I think it was like two days, like we found out on a Thursday or a Friday. And then on my Saturday, I sent down and I spun pretty much Doom's whole discography and I went through and edited this 12 and a half thousand word story and we've been putting it out in uh, sections of a five part installment. And what I think it does really well is it sort of, you know, summarizes the history of why Doom wears the mask and how he got to that point. So I wanted to sort of recap a little bit about this series to preface the conversations that we're going to have on these other Doom articles, um, because I feel like it gives a lot of context to a listener who might not understand, you know, all of the history of Doom and the significance. So Connor starts off the piece with the first two paragraphs. Um, We've watched Batman take up the cape time and time again, and Peter Parker's unassuming beginnings are a curiously cross-generational tale enshrined by a handful of rehashes and reiterations. More often than not, these arcs involve an unassuming somebody, usually the pure of heart, attuned to morality and social responsibility, coming into some wild and unexpected abilities, allowing them to action their convictions and make change. In many a Marvel blockbuster, the making of a menacing megalomaniac is relegated to the background, communicated through a handful of dramatic monologues and interwoven with their dastardly plots for world domination. Only infrequently are their motivations as sympathetic as the heroes, and less frequently still are their plans fully realized. 
If any villain has managed to mold the world in his image, it's MF Doom, the metal-faced adversary who broke out of New York City's underground and achieved a kind of subterranean domination. So, and then just to sort of recap what happens over this series, <clears throat> before he was MF Doom, Daniel Dumayet was a graffiti artist in Long Beach, New York, with his brother Dingleswey Dumayet. With an investment in some recording equipment, <clears throat> they switched hip-hop mediums from graffiti to MC, where Daniel starts going by Zev Love X and Dingleswey going by DJ Subrock. Together with a third MC, Rodan, they formed Causing Much Destruction, pop properly known as KMD. Through connections with MC's search of the Third Base Collective, Zev inspired and featured on the Third Base hit The Gas Face. Rodan left KMD early and is replaced by Onyx the Birthstone Kid, and working with Third Base soon earned KMD the attention of Dante Ross, who is a legendary A&R for Electra Records. <clears throat> he got the group a deal to release a KMD debut record called Mr. Hood. Now, at this time, the 19-year-old Zev Love X is a very different person from the MF Doom that everyone knows. For starters, he was completely sober. His mother raised his brother and him with Islam, and as a teacher, his father taught them about the teachings of people like Marcus Garvey and the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. And as the Dumayé brothers were growing up, they realized that a lot of the people in their communities didn't have the same education that they had. So Mr. Hood was all about a sort of Sesame Street approach to education. The album centered around an actual character named Mr. Hood, voiced by an English language learning CD that KMD was teaching about self-esteem, the evils of addiction, and, you know, other topics in that area. So, however, you know, their sound led the label to align them with acts like De La Soul and A Tribe Called Quest, and they didn't necessarily market the record to the audience that KMD intended. But Mr. Hood did do well enough for Dante to get the group a contract for a sophomore album. Now, at this time, like a lot of young MCs and just young people in general, Zev and Subrock both started getting into drinking and drugs during the recording of their sophomore project, Black Bastards. And Connor pulls a lot of great quotes around this time that also testify to the incredible growth of their brothers as artists and MCs. They're really coming into their own with this new record. And while they weren't satisfied with the way that Mr. Hood was marketed, it seemed like things were looking up for a less adulterated and more raw representation of what they wanted KMD to be. It even appears that their more direct and uncensored approach might have led Onyx to leaving KMD, but either way, Zev and Subrock were pouring a lot into this record. But in 1993, tragedy struck when DJ Subrock was hit and killed by a car. And this moment is really what starts to form the core of Doom and the core of the motivation behind the mask. Prior to his brother's death, Zev and Subrock had actually discussed explicitly what to do if something were to happen to one of them. That's some mighty foresight for rappers in their 20s, but they are inspired how KRS-One had previously responded to the death of his partner Scott LaRock in 1987 with the album By All Means Necessary. Subrock's death made it even more important to Zev that Black Bastards needed to be put out there. Around this time, Zev's substance use seems to pivot from lighthearted partying to the need for escape. Then, just a week after Subrock's death, Zev and Dante were called into the Electra Records office, and Zev was dropped from the label and his contract. A Billboard chart manager, Terry Rossi, had gotten a hold of the cover art for Black Bastards, 
a sketch of the KMD mascot hanging from a noose and had decried the album publicly without ever listening to it. This was around the same time that Ice-T's cop killer had caused a wave of label-led censorship and Elektra decided that the profit return of releasing the record was outweighed by the public outlash. Zev took the severance, his masters, and a 20k check and all but disappeared from the industry for a time. He reappears several years later in 1998 as MF Doom, a sort of anonymous supervillain, and follows up the appearance with Operation Doomsday in 1999. And what Connor does excellently in this series that you don't get out of me just recapping it is that he tells this whole story through first-hand accounts. You know, from the words of Doom, from the words of Subrock, uh, Pete Nice, Dante Ross, like he pulls all these direct quotes to tell the story, and it really enriches the image of it. And I just wanted to pull in particular uh, this one quote from Doom about that comes sort of near the end of the series about, you know, why he chose to do a mask. So he says, the way comics are written shows you the duality of things, how the bad guy ain't really a bad guy if you look at it from his perspective. Through that style of writing, I was kind of like, if I flip that into hip-hop, that's something people ain't done yet. I was looking for an angle that would be brand new. That's when I came up with the character and worked out the kinks. That's the villain. Yeah, and like promoting our own stuff on the podcast isn't something we usually do, like our central source stuff. We usually like, give it a quick shout-out and move on to the like celebrating journalists from other publications, but I feel like this is different because this piece is just so important I feel in documenting doom and just having that there as this accessible thing where people can can just come and understand why doom was doom and I think that's just valuable for fans and hopefully if you listen to this you're a fan and you can go check that out um, but yeah, leading nicely from what Brandon was saying about Connor's piece is the piece that Mickey's bringing to us. So do you want to lead off on that? Yeah, definitely. Um, like Ryan said, uh, it also just works out really well that we started with that because this piece that I was, um, that I chose to bring to the podcast, um, is really such a good kind of, um, it's a, Connor's piece is such a good transition into what this one talks about. So this piece is called uh, Hip Hop Needs No Other Supervillain After MF Doom, and it's for uh, Vulture and written by Craig Jenkins. Um, so this piece is really dope to me because Craig Jenkins attempts to write an obituary, but um, rather than just a strict obituary that kind of like um, talks about uh, the appreciation for someone who has passed, uh, this one really... Uh, Craig really writes this one with a purpose. Um, it's not just an ode. Uh, he pretty seamlessly blends fan-like appreciation for the villainy that Doom created and critiques the environment that made him have to slip into that role. He uses fictional villain origin stories to compare to Doom, the closest being the Marvel villain Doctor Doom, for obvious reasons. Craig talks about villains having an orig origin story that sparks their villainy, and Doom's personal one has to do with the one-two punch of, like Brandon talked about in Connor's piece, his brother's death and his record label pulling their album Black Bastards for fear of blowback for what they considered racy material. Again, like Brandon said about Connor's piece, without actually even having listened to the album. Um, they cut off his trajectory, which made him have to disappear, then reappear with a mask and as a villain. He describes what Doom represented as the villain in music when he reappeared, and this is one of my favorite quotes from the piece. Um, 
He says, Doom was the antithesis of the expensive disco hit remakes and loud couture of the shiny suit era in which, in, into which Operation Doomsday was released, warping the familiar and making it sound debased and crude while beat makers like Diddy wore the sonics of the recent past like jewelry. Then Craig goes deeper into his music creation into a poignant ode describing how his tragedy fueled his brilliance and how he created uh, music that empowered people and was totally off-center of what the norm of uh, popular music, especially even in hip-hop, uh, was at that time. Then at the end, he very poignantly brings it all back around, describing how, um, towards the end of the career, how uh, Doom was also treated like a villain because he was an illegal immigrant and was deported and not allowed to return stateside after 9-11. Um, he closes out with a perfect paragraph tying in why he should be the last rap villain that is created by American fear. And I'm just going to read this last paragraph because I think it would be remiss if I didn't. Doom changed the face of American music and never got to play another concert stateside. A kiss just as cold as the rug being pulled out from under K KMD because a writer who'd never heard the record decided Black Bastards was incendiary material. So... As we mourn the man, it behooves us to speak not just to his greatness, but also to the closed-mindedness and cruelty that complicated his life and necessitated his dark turn. The villain may do. Let's stop making villains. Um, yeah, uh, obviously that is... To me, to me, it's a very impressive way of going about uh, a piece like this um, and tying it even not just into um, the wrongdoings of Doom himself, but... Um, current um, topics revolving around, like I said before, American fear politics. Um, so, yeah, th I, th I just thought it was a really... Um, I mean, Craig Jenkins literally never misses. His writing is always impeccable. Um, anyone who says otherwise is bullshitting. But uh, I, I, just, I just thought he really, uh, he really used his platform and his words um, very poignantly here. Um, and purposefully, like I said at the beginning. So what did you guys think? Yeah, I think you hit it perfectly. You were talking about how each thing he said had a purpose and built into that eventual thing of saying, let's stop doing this to artists. Let's trust their vision in a way. And again, yeah, he talks about his music, but in a way to celebrate it in spite of everything the music industry did to push him out. Like, the fact that Doom is still recognised as one of the greatest of all time is in its in itself a victory for the villain, right? It's, it's, uh... <laughs> to use Marvel reference, it's Thanos looking over the sunset at the end of Infinity War, right? So, <laughs> well, this like, is the perfect piece to use that reference for. That yeah, exactly. Too, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, like, despite... Doom's music being kind of jovial at times and really quite silly because he is that kind of guy. Like, he was also a pretty sad dude and a pretty isolated dude. And I think Craig, like, finds that balance between celebrating that music but also recognising how the music industry caused him so much pain. Like, from Doom's interviews, you can tell how hurt he was from that Electra incident and, like, the second KMD album... And from then on, it's like he was making music against the wishes of what should be the home of music, right? Like, you should be able to exist within the music industry, exists so you can express yourself. But he had to kind of weave in and out of it. And that's just, one, a testament to his pure talent, the fact that he still just persevered with the art he was trying to make. And 
became so recognised, but also it's just so tragic, like, just let the dude make his music, you know? Right. So, yeah. Right. Um, I think what what you said that's really poignant and is very apparent in the pieces is that Craig, I think, does a good job of, of saying, you know, the 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 villainy that was instilled by what ended up being his enemies is not really what made him great, but we should just solely celebrate that he was able to come out on the other side and still be a success that he was before any of that tragedy and, and mishandling of, of his contract um, and disrespect of his music. He had was going to offer the world a top tier level of music regardless. And that, um, you know, I think it's really easy to to be like, oh, you know what, like, even though it was bad, it, like, created this genius, and, like, the genius was already there. So what did you think, Brandon? That's a, I mean, that's a really good point about the genius already being there. I mean, yeah, you go back to it, like, Zev Love X was 19 years old. Like, I keep thinking about um, <clears throat> him appearing <clears throat> in a Senate committee about the motor voter bill at 19 years old, yeah. and... You know, it it just goes to show how much of, like you said, like how much of that genius was already there and all the things that he had to go through in order not just to be recognized for it, but to even put it out there, right? And I think that that's something that Craig demonstrates extraordinarily well um, is how important the historical context is to Doom. You know, we could talk all day about how good the music is and how well he rhymes and how, you know, clever his bars are, but it still doesn't let on to how significant that that expression is, that that's an expression that had to be, you know, sort of fought for. And it's an expression that he literally had to overcome obstacles to even get to the point where people were able to hear that. And that's why, I mean, that's one of the reasons why we, wanted to start with this Craig Jenkins piece is because, you know, it puts that history into context and why we wanted to start with Connor's piece because, you know, to preface all of this conversation about how loved this MC was and how good his music is, is a needed understanding of why it's significant. Hmm. Yeah, it's a really like, you know, he couldn't have done with his circumstance any better than he did, but it's, it, it would be remiss to not mention that how much better we could have done by him. Um, uh, so this is a, a quote that was more towards the beginning of the piece that I wanted to mention, um, just because I thought it was really interesting. And it also had a word that I didn't know the definition of. And then I looked up the definition, <laughs> which I'm going to read. And I, I just thought that that was, uh, um, and then just get your guys' thoughts on it. Um, just because I thought it was a really interesting sentence and especially with the knowledge of what this word means, um, an interesting way to qualify doom. Uh, the mask is a monument to pain and a promise to protect a people no matter what the cost. Doom's moves, cruel as they are, are root- rooted in a kind of cracked altruism. Now remember in the sentence is cracked altruism, but I didn't know what altruism meant. <laughs> so <laughs> I looked up the definition for altruism, which I found interesting. Um, and I'll, I'm just going to read the definition and then get your guys' take. Uh, So altruism is the belief in or practice of disinterested and selfless concern for the well-being of others. But I think it's interesting that he says cracked altruism specifically. So what did you guys think think about that? Cracked altruism is such a genius way of describing a supervillain specifically. 
because, you know, and like, uh, like at the start of this Craig Jenkins piece, just like at the start of Connor's piece, they both bring in this analogy of Doom as a supervillain. Because within the context of hip-hop, he was the supervillain of hip-hop. And I loved the way that Connor put it, whereas like no other supervillain has been so successful at their dastardly plans of shaping the world in their image. Because if you look, and I'm sure Ryan can speak more on this specifically, but the art rap inspiration from Doom is sort of the result of that cracked altruism, as Craig put it. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Like, if you go through, like, all the interviews of artists I listen to, there'll be some kind of interview, interview them talking about how much Doom influenced them. And I said it on uh, something else you should listen to. It's Charlie, Charlie's What's Good episode, uh, also in the Five VPN Network. That me and Brandon hopped on and talked about Doom. It's like um, you can talk about how it's influenced influenced the way people rhyme, but it's the way people are as artists and the way they present themselves in relation to the music industry as a whole. He Doom's position, just the mere space he occupied revolutionized what an artist could do and where they could stand. If you listen to Open Mike Eagle on um Dad Bod Rap Pod, always a good listen Dad Bod Rap Pod, one of the best podcasts in music podcasting. But he talked about how this he listened to Doom and was like, Oh, I didn't know you could do that. And I feel like a lot of artists had that moment where they look at what what Doom's doing and it's like, Oh, all these unspoken rules of hip hop, like, they don't actually exist. I can just do that <laughs> so yeah he really did create that space man that's a really good uh yeah this is a thing that i didn't necessarily plan to talk about which is my own personal experience with doom because I, ryan specifically you're much more of a like og deep fan uh but i was introduced to doom kind of when i was introduced to like music discovery itself and hip-hop because my cousin went to the same high school as mf doom um but i just so he introduced me to mad villainy specifically first and foremost and um you know as as much as like, you know, I, I don't have as much of that deep personal connection of like Doom was the gateway to all of these artists that I like now. And I have that back and forth. Just the, his sheer delivery on um, on Figaro on that album. And then Rhinestone, it's called Rhinestone Cowboy. Cowboy. Yeah, yeah Rhinestone Cowboy. It's, the, the way that he delivered over the beats was something I absolutely was had that exact reaction to when I first heard him and I was starting to open up my ears to new styles of hip-hop because my cousin was introducing them to me which was just like oh like this this art form in hip-hop itself just has another level of depth to it that um right I didn't even totally understand with the like you know realm of hip-hop that I was listening to which was like Eminem 50 Cent Kanye West and then <laughs> what's interesting is you know where your story is, um, this is getting a little away from the piece, but it just made me think about this. Your story is like Doom and then how he moved forward. Me initially listening to Doom made me more interested to look back to see where he came from. So sure. I started listening to like Organized Confusion, which is their like really <laughs> early 90s stuff. And those early tapes, which I think was, you know, in a sense, um, a, a little bit of where Doom came from. Um, but he, he innately... Um, which I, I hope is the effect for some people now who are just getting into him, um, even allows people to 
do a deep dive into his music, but even the music that came before him, like it did for me, and definitely things like Organized Confusion and Pharaoh Monch are uh, types oh, yeah. of rappers that, that, that are definitely in the lineage. Yeah, I've got uh, a personal anecdote and a way to tie it back into Craig's piece. So and I said this on the What's Good podcast episode when we did this, but I also discovered Doom like post Mad Villainy. So like went, you know, went back to all of his records. It wasn't like living with it as it was coming out. But in a similar way to you, you know, by discovering the music and then going back and learning who MF Doom was, he was really the artist that taught me the significance of being an independent artist, mm. of of not being on a label. And I think that, you know, now so many more people are turning to his music and so many more people are discovering his music. I see that hopefully through discovery of his music, they in a similar way are able to go back and learn who the person is. And that's why in articles like this that Craig wrote, it's so important to not just talk about the music, but have that context and to make that, you know, that context accessible and understandable. And one of the ways in which that he does that so particularly well, uh, and you can tell that he has such a good knowledge of Doom, is the way that he weaves the the web of influence and all the different things and all the different ways that Doom is out there. You know, you you could have you could have met Doom through a friend introducing you, through adult swim snippets, through watching the boondocks through British experimental rock like Gorillaz, somewhere, somehow, almost everyone in hip-hop will run into Doom at some point. And he, yeah. sta- and he stands out. You know, like, when you, when you hear some of those rhymes, or like, like Ryan said, when you, uh, or, sorry, like Open Mike Eagle said, when he noticed, like, holy shit, like, you can do that? Like, I don't have to follow these rules? Like, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's the breaking of those rules that, like, reaches out and, like, grabs people. Right. That's a, that's a really interesting point because it's, it's, um, a thing I'm always intrigued about, about music in general, about how like, uh, in a sense, Doom's individuality actually provided uh, a space for his art to be more universal because he (laughs) kind of just individually tapped into so many places in such a specific way um, and drew in so many people that innately when you did catch him and like you said, you're going to eventually, you tapped into him in a much deeper and more specific way, which made his reach somehow be wider. Yeah, and I think another part of that, and this isn't something got to do the piece, sorry, but um, <laughs> another part of that, like kind of building the community around Doom is that, like no matter what, when you hear Doom, everyone kind of has the same experience, like, yo, I've never heard anything like this before. Even if you're a new fan, having heard people like Earl Sweatshirt and Joey Badass first, like those guys have tried to imitate Doom. Like even Earl, even earlier, has really tried to imitate Doom, but like they've never come close. Because when you listen to Doom, it's singular. And yeah, there just won't be another one. Well, even even before like the intentional like imitation is the fact like that these rappers, when they were learning how to rap, like specifically within this like art rap umbrella like they were rapping doom songs before they were rapping their own songs right like before they were writing their own lyrics like they were spitting bars to to mm food and mad villainy and operation doomsday like it, like that's how so many people learned how to rhyme and how to put together like complex couplets and stuff like that yeah yeah i love that video that's circulating still of 
Tyler and and Earl going to the gym. meeting doom. Yeah, I've I've literally watched that thing like fifteen times because it's just yeah. so innately you know. You you, if you've ever listened to Doom, you just understand innately based on the art that they put out how <laughs> yes. that experience is so singularly poignant to them, um, and I I, I I don't know it just like carries through the camera lens. Uh, well, yeah. and I think that's that's another one of those moments that's like so important for people to see and understand because you have people who don't understand Doom, but they understand Tyler the Creator. And they understand Earl Sweatshirt. And as much as they put artists like that up on a pedestal, to see those artists like awestruck by MF Doom, yeah. that I mean that's that immediately tells you like there there's something significant, something very significant about this person, even if you don't know who he is or have the context, that would encourage you to then go find that context. Right. We have to remember that not everyone <laughs> is like us, funny enough. But <laughs> there is like some singularity to being like, oh, this is the guy who influenced this guy? Let me go check out his entire catalog, which people who are doing what we're doing are definitely going to do without hesitation. But yeah. I mean, I, I hope just the conversation of people kind of bringing up his name over and over again inspires that in, the, in more people and they kind of get the bug like we have in our kind of music listening. Um, yeah. Yeah, man. I wanted to uh, I, just, I wanted to touch on one more thing that Craig did really well that I thought was really that gave me a funny thought. Um, that has to do with the way that Doom raps about himself in third person, and Craig talks about how on I forget the name of the song. Ryan, you'll probably remind me. Um, it's not America's Most Blunted, although he does have a really funny anecdote about America's Most Blunted. Yeah. But he talks about how Doom roasts himself, right? Since, which right. since he gives himself. In the third person, he's so committed to the character and to, like, shifting characters and shifting perspectives that he literally has bars where he roasts himself. And I just think more rappers need to have, I don't know what it is, the confidence, the the artistry, or, like, I want to hear more rappers, like, roast themselves in the third perspective. Because that is such a unique, and it, it has to do with how Doom talked about, like, donning the mask was all about, like how in hip hop you got to be the man and you got to be the shit. So he like invented this character that he can really be the man. Like he can make up shit. He can just go completely wild, but then he gives himself the freedom to also like have a laugh at himself. Right. Wow. But okay. You, so you just, <laughs> now it's going to be hard to talk, stop, stop talking about it now. Cause you just like <laughs> heard 18 thoughts. Uh, so, but people don't talk. So we talked about Doom's specific influence on art rap. But the thing that's so interesting about seeing who's coming out of the woodwork and being like, oh, shit, MF Doom is my favorite rapper, he died, is the influence that, D that MF Doom specifically even had on, like, SoundCloud rap, and specifically mm -hmm. in that sense of, like, you know, like, making fun of yourself, like, an artist like Ugly God or, like, Lil yeah. Yachty and, like, all of these different artists who, like, actually made a career out of that a little bit. And there's even artists in the kind of new wave that... that People wouldn't necessarily sonically tied to Doom, but lyrically, and like a BFB to Pac-Man is the guy, a guy out of Detroit who I would self-describe as like, you know, well, I would just describe as someone who kind of like jokes with himself about his own self-image and different things like that. Um, yeah, I, it's, it's uh, it, again, Brandon goes back to the kind of, you know, no matter who you are, Doom is going to touch you in some way if you're involved in some, in some realm of hip hop. Yeah, and going back to Craig's title, there needs to be no other supervillain because 
MF Doom was the ultimate supervillain. Uh, Brandon was talking about the song Fancy Clown of Mad Villain, if you didn't know. Uh, and that song is where he's rapping from the perspective of a different character he created, uh, Victor Vaughn. And uh, to be a villain, to be MF Doom, you have to have done someone wrong. And that song is Victor Vaughn rapping from the perspective of uh, on the phone to his girlfriend who he had seen hanging out with MF Doom. And like, <laughs> MF Doom was cheating on... Uh, he, her, his girlfriend was cheating on him with MF Doom. So he was going at him. So like, <laughs> when you see Tin Head, tell him be ducking down. Like, just the presence to talk about MF Doom as the guy who wears the mask, calling him Tin Head, is the funniest thing. Oh, I'll never not laugh at that line. And things like but, that even further characterize his characters. Exactly. Like, he, like exactly. he himself, like, is all of the characters, but by putting them, like, against each other and shifting the perspectives that he raps on, he, like, almost creates a universe in a way that the characterization yeah, exactly. is so thick. Exactly. So MF Doom has his his uh, his partners in crime, like your Mad Libs, but he also has his enemies that he's done wrong in your Victor Vaughn's. So, yeah, he, he he's just... Yeah, man. Dare yeah. I say his <laughs> Doomiverse. His Doomiverse. <laughs> oh. Okay. And on that note, <laughs> I do want to mention that I find it so funny that Mickey called me the uh, the OG Doom fan. Like, Operation Doomsday didn't come out when I was one years old. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I guess... I guess when I say that, like, I discovered the music post-Mad Villainy, I suppose that that's not uncommon. But I guess from all the reading, because I've been reading so many of these um, in memoriam pieces, that, like, I don't know, I guess even I feel, like, outside the realm of, like, the OG, like, doom influence. But, you know, I, I like, I guess, you know, Zev Love started rapping in the 80s, late 80s. Yeah. So we're talking like H-A-H-A-H-A-H-A-H-A-H-A-H-A-H-A-H-A-H-A-H-A-H-A-H-A-H-A-H-A-H-A-H-A-H-A-H-A-H-A-H-A-H-A-H-A-H-A-H-A-
ranking things best and worst. Um, because superlatives are always, you know, interchangeable and they're always like, you know, anytime you call something the best, it's like, well, you haven't heard everything. So you don't know that it's the best. Uh, so I really related to the way that Blockhead laid that out at first, that he doesn't go around, you know, ranking things. But then he confidently says that MF Doom's Rhymes Like Dimes is his favorite song of all time. So right away, you understand the weight and the significance of this song to Blockhead. So Doom, and you know, what really, really successfully gets across in this piece through this just one song is how Doom combined rappers and weirdos. Like, he raps about rap shit, like Girls and Drugs, and in the same breath, he raps about 1950s black and white movies. <laughs> so, and then the producer's perspective on this beat is just... Like, there's this part where Blockhead talks about the difference between how he approaches producing and how Doom approaches producing in beats. And the main difference being that Blockhead says he would never take a song that he loves... Like, he would never take one of his favorite songs and dig into it for a sample or a flip it. But that Doom, like, that's exactly what he does. Like, Doom samples and he loops songs that he's so specific, like, that he knows so well that he can take, like, a legendary, well-known song, dig through it for a flip and a loop, and pull it out, like, the perfect loop in a way that you don't even recognize it. And there's this great moment in the piece where Blockhead talks about how mind-blown he was when he finds out that uh, Rhymes Like Dimes samples 100 Ways by James Ingram and Quincy Jones, which is a song that he was familiar with long before he heard Rhymes Like Dimes, but had no idea that it was the sample source. So to get that from a producer, right, who is so versed on, you know, think about like a producer's ear, right? Like they're so versed on identifying and like pulling apart instrumentals, pulling apart production to identify individual aspects. And, you know, to, for, for this producer to be so familiar with the source of the sample and so familiar with Rhymes Like Dimes, but not make the connection between the two, like that is just a testament to, you know, how versed Doom is and how like how well that he knows these songs that he's flipping. So, um, you know, what did you guys think about Rhymes Like Dimes? What did you guys think about the producer's perspective? Um, and then I'm also just interested in hearing, like, what your guys' favorite Doom songs are. Mm. Well, I think I already mentioned my favorite Doom songs. I mean, it, like, there's other ones that I love, but there's just that inherent, you know, I can't, you can't, you know, disconnect the nostalgia from Figaro and rhinestone cowboy like it just i think i've heard ryan say some word like a tweet or something that rhinestone cowboy is one for him too but it's it's uh it's just like as much as i love other songs there's something inherently um you know there's just the feeling attached to those songs on mad villainy for me that can't really be escaped but the thing that i uh you were kind of talking about um doom style of rapping where you can kind of jump in between topics um i really liked how blockhead kind of talked about uh how the songs aren't linear but that how doom um there's a freedom that's inherent in that but how doom is like expertly proficient in delivering it so because you can kind of still on some level hear hear these kind of disconnected things and totally understand how he's processing it 
which is really difficult to do, particularly for rappers. There's a lot of rappers who do a kind of, even in the modern day, kind of stream of consciousness type of rapping, just so, thought to thought to thought to thought. And funny enough, let's just keep talking about how much influence Doom has, right? <laughs> it's like, that's actually really apparent in a lot of like trap, like little baby kind of stuff. Like he does not rhyme in a linear kind of pattern whatsoever, but there's something inherent about how MF Doom does it that you, re it's very easy to put yourself inside his mind and see how he thinks and connect the thoughts. Um, so yeah, I, I really liked how Blockhead um, talked about that specifically. And I, I, it made me think a lot about the, and the, the doom I was listening to at the time um, while I was kind of um, running through these pieces and, and um, realizing that while reading his, his thoughts. I think about when it comes to like naming your favorite doom songs too, I think that that's something that I've really appreciated seeing is how much that those titles vary. Um, the, I think the day after we got the news, so like on the first, when we posted our daily, um, what song was stuck in your head when you woke up this morning, there was like eight to 10 people replied under it. They were all doom songs. And I don't think a single person even named the same song. Like I think every single song was different. And that's why like, there's that's well that's why that's why this series and Passion Wise is so good because there's so many people who have like very intimate or very knowledgeable connections to specific Doom songs that another Doom head doesn't have on that song. So there's so many perspectives to be collected from people like on this topic, like on every single song. There's someone who has gone deeper into it, knows more about it has a more full relationship with the song and can explain it better than someone else for every single song. Yeah, and it's funny that this piece goes for like the producer's angle on it because while I was listening to this, I was listening to the uh, Herbs and Spices tapes, um, of Doom's uh, Metal Fingers instrumental tapes. And Doom as a producer is so funny. Like as someone who's built up as like this really niche dude, like... You have to have like a certain taste to really get, but his his beats are just so relaxing to me. Like it's almost like low Doom's version of lo-fi chill hip hop beats to study relax to. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, I I thought that um, Blockhead's first of all getting Blockhead to write this piece. Shout out to Jeff Weiss, awesome. But um, just as a musician, his dedication was just so beautiful and honest, like. Through the scope of just one song, he was able to communicate this, this thing that's like, what survives longer than the artist is the impact of the art. And how Blockhead is just never going to forget that moment where he heard Doom flip the sample and he just stood there appreciating his genius, right? And I thought that this is such a beautiful way to express that. And while I was listening to those tapes, like... Yeah, it just it just lined up perfectly what this piece is trying to say. Yeah, um, I wanted to talk too about uh, the thing you t you started talking about, Brandon, about how he first qualifies that he doesn't believe in absolutes and then says an absolute because he continues <laughs> to do it throughout the piece, and it's really I mean it's a, it's such a cool ode. It's like you know I really hate when people do this, but Doom makes it impossible to not qualify his shit as the best. And, um, I, I, yeah, I, I mean, I think that also is like a cool thing with Doom specifically because of his villainy, 
But yeah. uh, the the thing that really stuck out to me was this this uh, quote. Is he said, not only was he extremely prolific, and this is towards the end of the piece, so he just keeps continuing to do it. Not only was he extremely prolific, but I can't name another hip-hop artist who made his debut in the 80s and not only maintained his status, but actually got better over a decade later. So <laughs> as far as like totally going against everything that he believes in, as far as absolutes, that's the epitome <laughs> of it for sure. But it also, in in my own kind of, thoughts um and i don't like absolutes either and we've talked about this a lot i've i've definitely i think there is something to be said about not necessarily making it an absolute but talking about rappers in terms of longevity because that to me on some on a certain level we can qualify that as like a different realm of a thing not meaning that it's the best because best is subjective but like a certain level of longevity where you're able to you know maintain a, a certain level of relevancy throughout a, an extended period of time um, is something that it's like, you know, it's hard to say anything against. And what's crazy is I wouldn't have necessarily put Doom in this type of category. But to me, besides Doom, the people who have done any version of that, like, crazy length of real relevancy within the core of, like, the hip-hop space, it's like Jay-Z, Andre 3000 maybe Nas and Doom, which yeah. is yeah. nuts. Like, there is nobody else who you can genuinely say has, where it's like, you know... Decades and decades they of... They occupy a real central space within the scheme of hip-hop, and the consciousness of hip-hop, I think, is a better word. Um, and then when you think about, you know... Hopefully, you know, I think even other people will realize how much Doom is in that realm of longevity artists. Uh, and I think he, he kind of puts it on display here. Well, and even even putting Jay-Z, like, next to Doom in that conversation, like, you can see how Jay-Z evolved beyond rap, like, evolved beyond music to the entrepreneurship, to the business figure, you know, to the billionaire. And Doom... There was no evolving beyond rap or evolving beyond music for him. Like, since the 80s, Doom was about the music and he was there for the music. And I think, like you said, like, you don't necessarily think of that until you hear it, um, is in large part due to how before he was Doom, he was Zev Love X, right? And then, you know, there was a several years gap between Zev Love and Doom. Yeah. And, like, of those names you mentioned, how many of those actually improved as a rapper over time? <laughs> right. As, as far as, like, improve, yeah, because the, the word improved is important, right? But that's yeah. also qualifying. But, you know what I mean? But it, <laughs> true, true, improved true. is versus, like, changed styles. Like, are they actually right. what you would qualify as, like, a better rapper? As like, I see. I think, I, see. I think it's hard to, like, put anyone up against Doom as far as, like, damn, like, I mean, especially when you think of, like, his his late last, like, solo body of work, which is born like this, right? And, like, the tier of rapping that he's doing yeah. at that level is crazy. Because Jay, I don't know if anyone would say Jay-Z's rapping was better as from, like, you know, Blueprint to 444, but he totally changed the type of content and how he approached it. But, yeah, sure. I, think, I think that's a good, very anti-Ryan qualifying absolute point there. <laughs> <laughs> oh man but going back to this piece actually there's one more thing i want to say is like it's one of my favorite brands of peace which is just someone sharing a story about how they connected to this piece of art and how much it meant to them and i thought yeah it was just so like this whole series and passion wise is just such a perfect way 
to um, express that. And uh, you asked about my favourite Doom songs. Mickey, I'm with you on Rhinestone Cowboy, as you know, but I've talked about that before. Um, and you mentioned Born Like This. That's that is just one of the most ridiculous verses I think I've ever heard. And that's Doom on 100% don't care about the rules mode. The amount of rhymes he manages to squeeze and like it should not be possible. Right. And then you just start singing at the end for no reason. <laughs> it's wonderful. And and then um one song that always, always, always make me happy is rap snitch knishes. Oh yeah. There you go. Just cause like the fact that Mr. Fantastic, like still nobody knows who he is, and I love that. I don't want anyone to ever find out who Mr. Fantastic is. I love that mystery. Like, I love keeping that biggest mystery in wraps around NFD and Mr. Fantastic. Like, yeah, not because of my Marvel nerddom, but also because that song's it can amazing. Be a bit of that both. beat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but like, that, that song, that beat, we talk about doing production being fun. And like, considering that came out right after Mad Villainy, the beats of Mad Villainy compared to that beat and the beats on Unfood, mm. it's just so much more fun, so much more vibrant. And the fact that Mr. Fantastic... I think that's one of the ones, few songs around that era that Doom didn't have the best verse in the song. <laughs> right. I don't know if people agree with me with that, but Mr. Fantastic's verse there, it's just insane. <laughs> Brandon, what are your favorite Doom songs? Uh, Rhymes Like Dimes and oh, Phasers, right. probably. Yeah, I was Phasers, just about yeah. to ask, because I feel like we talked about Phasers too. That's definitely up there for me as well. Yeah, I feel like... I don't... King Giodora stuff is crazy. Like I've I've quoted phasers at like several points this year, like just fleeted like phasers on stun. Like that's like something about like that one line, like and I'm not even like a Star Trek head or anything. But there's just something about like the way that Doom says like gotta keep the phases on stun that just is like like that's one of my favorite one liners ever like in a in a hip hop song. Like it's and so much of it is not necessarily about like the pen game even on that song, but just yeah. about the delivery and the tone and just the catchiness of it. I don't know. Like, it, well, and that's another thing that this, um, this piece that I wanted to highlight in this piece actually is just how unbelievably fun it is to read doom bars or doom couplets. And that there is a paragraph. I read this on uh, what's good. I'm going to read it again on in search of sauce. So apologies if listeners have heard it twice, but this paragraph to me just like does such a good job at capturing like why his bars are so fun to read and then how that like how he goes so flow of consciousness in his rap and still hits every single couplet. Uh, So this paragraph by Blockhead on Rhymes Like Dimes says, this is a song where he can say some absurd shit like when I hit it, Slid into the shitter, thought I killed a goose. Her power use was pure Brita water filter juice. Then moments later, he dropped, only in America could you find a way to earn a healthy buck and still keep your attitude on self-destruct. It's not a linear song with a message. It's simply a guy rapping about whatever he wanted to rap about. There was no reinventing the wheel with that type of song, but at the same time, literally no one but Doom could have ever made it. And that encapsulates, like, I know he specifically is talking about rhymes like dimes, but that encapsulates so many of Dune's songs that they're all just like, I don't know, like he just, he just raps yeah. and yeah, it, and it sounds and, so good. 
Yeah, the simpli- the simplicity of it really comes through. Like, especially because the rhyme schemes are so intricate, and some of the lines you have to re-decipher. Like, <laughs> like Meat Grinder, he's rhyming so much you're kind of distracted by the fact that what that song's about. Like, and <laughs> and talking about uh, oh damn, what was the line I was just gonna say? Oh yeah, like. Sometimes it's the most simple rhyme that would just stick out. Like in Beef Rap, he says, a rather ugly brother with flows that's gorgeous. Or, like, there's nothing crazy about or that Or even, um, it's just what ugly. is the other one I quote all the time? Classical slapstick. These rappers need chapstick. Like, that just, that's one, that's one line. And it's so, it's not even a couplet. It's just like... Like, every, every time that I hear that, like, every time I listen to that song, I literally am just, like, all day, classical rap stick, slap rap stick, chapstick, like, all day. And then, these metal fingers be holding hot shit, like, <laughs> I say that all the time in my head, for no reason, it's just, yeah, Doom just has that, is Doom the most catchy rapper of all time? Perhaps. He's probably got the best one-liners. <laughs> I mean, talking about how we don't like superlatives, but we're here like MF Doom is the best. (laughs) No one crosses He's in a different space. He's in a different space. He always has been. That's actually weird. That's good for the transition into the next title, I think, of Dylan's Beast. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I know know we all have a lot to say on that, too, so we probably should. Yeah. So... This next piece is from Dylan Green's in the size from his uh, New Music Friday newsletter, which is a really cool um, read and subscribe if you want to just keep up with stuff. Because, yeah, music, there's a lot of music always coming out and he somehow keeps tapped in all of it. And I mean all of it, because he'll just bring up some mad underground rapper that we found through Submit Hub, but he'll just like somehow have their... Have, uh, their mu- his their music on his radar somehow. Anyway, the piece is called Engraved, Not Unmarked, The Legacy of MF Doom. And yeah, D- Dylan is a massive, massive, massive Doom fan. <clears throat> and that really comes through here. And um, again, going to mention Charlie's What's Good episode. Um, Brandon and I talked on that about... For people who are so into everything Doom does musically... It'll just like just musically, it would be so difficult to wrap up everything that he was to us, like everything that he meant to us. And thankfully, Dylan loves Doom, and he's like just just incredible writer, one of those talented dudes on the planet. So um, <laughs> this piece is like kind of short and sweet, and it can be easy to look over the massive task that it is to put this piece together just the fact that this exists it's such a huge task and i just want to say i recognize that first and foremost and um yeah through my own efforts i know how difficult it is to eat to neatly and coherently talk about doom as an mc who is silly nerdy goofy a bit of a troll yeah extremely serious at the same time and like as a producer as well and as an, an enigma but also as someone who would push himself into our reality on occasion like all these things but Dylan does it with such grace and with such depth like I really think it's unreal the way he writes his piece and the whole thing in the end leads to him referring to Doom as an idea and questions if an idea can die and just that question right there I guess matches the sentiment of 
so many fans trying to comprehend Doom's death. And I kind of went through a similar thing when uh, Diego Maradona died. Like, he felt like an idea, like a myth to me. And it's so weird that I go through the same thing, like, within a month. But yeah, I thought this piece was pretty much near perfect. And it's kind of summed up by a line near the start, which is kind of, like, like we talk about Doom, like, sometimes the most simple ones stick out. But he said, uh, MF Doom, a man who made... A man who remade himself from personal and professional tragedy into a living, breathing enigma had passed away. And that just outlines how incomprehensible the whole thing is. Yeah, I want to touch on exa- I mean, that exact line, actually. I had a note on how this intro paragraph, and especially there towards the end, like the way that Dylan uses like punctuation and the phrasing of like the sentences even feels like your breath being taken away. Like the way, the way that he has written it with the punctuation, I, I feel like has done such a good job of resembling like the weight of like that moment. And then he, you know, he goes, cause he goes on to talk about like specifically, cause that's one of the things you always remember with these, uh, with these moments, you always remember like where you were, when you got the news and that feet, that literal feeling of like being punched in the chest, like losing your breath, like, is this real? Like this doesn't seem real. And the way that he even punctuated that intro, like got that feeling across to me. And which interestingly enough, where I was at, when I got the news, I was listening to, um, Chester Watson, the Chester Watson interview on some to say with yo, and Christina and Jaw and um, which, you know, Chester Watson is hugely inspired by Doom. And actually Dylan is the journalist who put me on to Chester Watson too. So like in a, in a weird, that's like almost a weirdly full circle way to bring this piece to the podcast and have like, or at least like how, how I connected to it through that sort of like breathless punch when you get the news. Yeah. Um, I felt the most uh, affected by this piece of any Doom piece that I read, for sure. Uh, and part of it is the just inherent personal attachment that Dylan expresses. Um, but there was something else that while I was reading it... Uh, I had to read it twice till I figured out what it was that was inherent in the piece that moved me so much because it's not direct. Uh, it's almost like the subtext to the piece, which is weird to say about writing. Um, but I realized, and funny enough, it's just kind of a funny line that I realized it on and then realized it on another line where he's t- just kind of talking about his lyricism that... Dylan's pen in writing pieces is so directly inspired by Doom's flow pattern. Uh, And that, alongside with the gut punch that he describes that Brandon's talking about, I don't know, is like, (laughs) it got me a little, not, you know, just, uh, it definitely, I I feel like I felt the minimized version of the gut punch with him because, you know, it, be, it, well, it just becomes so interconnected of a loss. Uh, 
Yeah, but the, the just to make it a little lighter, but also just it was funny that this was the line that made me realize it. And it is one of my favorite lines of the piece now because I had that thought, which is he says, his lines could feel like the tinge in your ear from drinking ginger beer and unfolded from compact pizza, the compact pockets like a pizza roll dissolving in the mouth. I was like, at first when I, I reread it the second time, I was like, oh, wait, that wasn't the whole part of that wasn't just a direct doom quote it was just in the center of it not the whole line yeah. uh and i was like oh shit and that was like a crazy kind of like layered thing because it's kind of like you just inserted a bar in the middle of your own thing and it all just sounded like it blended together as one thought from doom um I don't know, that shit was just really cool. And then this other line, Doom's work flowed with the whimsy and wonder of a rearranged jigsaw puzzle, pieces originally meant to fit one way seamlessly slotting into another. I was like, dude, that is exact. Like, it was just crazy because I then after making the initial discovery, I like was looking at the entire way that the piece was written in a different way. And I was like, damn, that's like exactly how he's just describing him with his own pen. I made a very similar note actually on another line that's not even one that you've mentioned um, that comes at the end of the piece when he says the and not wow that's such a hard word to say anonymity. the and 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 it's like I feel like Finding Nemo trying to say it before anonymity. you say it this is also literally <laughs> the third quote that I have written down and this is a common theme on the podcast where people steal my quotes <laughs> and Brandon, I will allow it <laughs> the anonymity of the mask highlights one of the simplest and most accessible charms of Doom's music, Anybody Can Be Weird. The real and the surreal are only as different as you see them, and by mixing the traumatic with the supernatural under the veil of incredible skill, <clears throat> Doom has given generations of rap fans the keys to create their own reality. That's what his tomb will say. And it's even, you know, the, the, it's important, like, the way that he even, he didn't say tomb will say. He said tomb will say, which then <laughs> literally invokes in your head the rhyme, and you hear it in MF Doom's voice, like as you're reading. And I think that's a testament to like exactly what you're speaking with, like the way like his writing flow is, but it, it like so significantly like punches out in that moment. Like, I mean, if you just think about like music journalism in general and writing in general, and if you're writing about just any person, I think one of the, one of the strongest things that you can do is put that person's voice in the reader's head through your writing. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, just to, I guess, go along with what you guys are saying, um, the one, I guess, I'm kind of thinking back to what I said at the start about, like, myself not knowing how to write about Doom's passing, but being thankful for this piece, because, like, I knew I had to bring it out, you know? I knew I had to bring out the bars, but I just, I did not have it in me. Like, the end of the year, like, just having that news at the end of the year just kind of took all the wind out of myself. And I, I don't think, I don't think I had it in me, so I'm so glad this piece existed. Because, yeah, Dylan brought it out. Like, he pulled out everything for his favourite rapper. And you can so, so, so tell that he meant so much to Dylan. Yeah. And I love this um these few lines so not like bars or anything but like <laughs> what made doom most intriguing to me was seeing him balance his love for word games with the traumatic aspects of his life for all the nerdy dressings of his music and the major cosines his infamy wrought 
The street-bred and politically-minded qualities of his songs are often glossed over. And that's exactly what I was talking about, like, talking about how you wrap up his silly nerdiness with his, his seriousness. And, like, just that section right there just does everything that I couldn't bring myself to do. And I just appreciated that so much. Like, I talked on... Like, we've been talking about how... Mostly about how fun his lines are. But just listen to strange ways. Just listen to the way... Like, a guy with a reference pool this deep and with a brain that works like that couldn't not have something to say about everything and something profound to say about everything. Well, and there's even something about the artistry of the references. Like, if you think of, like, on surface level, like, what is a reference supposed to do? A reference is supposed to make someone go, oh, I get that, that's cool. But Doom subverts even that. Like, even being the king of references, he's pulling references regardless of whether or not you're going to get them, right? Like, we talked yeah. about in the yeah. on the Passion Wise piece, like, referencing, like, 50s black and white gangster movies. It, like... He, he even goes beyond, like, he, not using references just as references, as, like, as nostalgic references, but it's because that's what he was thinking of. And that's the way that he wanted to tie something together. Not with regard for how you received it, but for how he wanted to deliver it. And that is so much of, like, the core of Doom in The Mask. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't even want to... Pl- that's, yep, that's it right there. That's, uh... <laughs> Do you guys have any more bars from Dylan? Um, I did like the... I don't know if it's necessarily bars, but I like the way that he also brought Freddie Gibbs into this piece, which was which was different, right? Like, there's so much of... You know, there there's a list of rappers that you can go down that will be mentioned in the same breath as MF Doom, right? You know, Open Mike Eagle, Earl Sweatshirt... Tyler, the creator, um, I'm, you know, I'm sure Ryan can go on, but well, we've now <laughs> mentioned the ones that aren't in the realm all over this podcast too. Exactly. So there's, there's a list of artists you don't go down or th- there's a list of artists that you go down and Freddie Gibbs does not initially appear on that list. You don't think of the, I mean, the connection is the Mad Lib connection is obviously there, but as far as like content and style of rapping and delivery, like you don't think Freddie Gibbs and Dylan brings that into context by mentioning like a Twitter argument over, you know, who was the better rapper, who had the better styles. And he brings out that like, okay, but these people don't see how much of this is the same. Like how much of what inspired their music and inspiration, the things they're rapping about, like the gangster shit, like is in MF Doom's music. And even when he's rapping about silly shit, and rapping about funny shit or having like those crazy one-liners, like it's still pulling from his life, which is that influence. And it's still present in his music, just in a very different way. Yeah. It's like Mickey just said, that's it right there. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There is a line where he said, um, or Dylan said, um, even when grounded to reality, there was no telling where he'd take you next. And when he means, when he says next, he means literally the next word. The funny thing about Dean is like, he couldn't tell what the next rhyme was going to be. Like even, even though he kind of, he does a rhyme on the fourth 
you know, the fourth beat quite often, you don't know what syllable that's going to be or what, where he's going to bring it from. So in that sense, that's true. But also in, ter- in terms of topic of the next song or what ridiculous thing he's going to say on the next line, like every Doom line has the potential to just punch you in the stomach in a different way, <laughs> which I think is incredible. I don't know how many, like all the things we've been saying about Doom, I don't know how many thing, how many of those things you can say about most other rappers. Sorry, Brandon, that's a superlative. <laughs> no, most, most, most is acceptable. It's different than uh, the only. So I feel like yeah. any, anytime somebody says like the only, some obscure person's going to be like, nah, you didn't, you didn't know about this. But yeah, like, I mean, you can definitely say a lot of those things like we talked about on the Blockhead article. You can say a lot of those things about Doom <clears throat> because Doom is the only Doom. Like, even though he has inspired so many people and influenced so much of the scene and so much of the significance, like, there has never been another Doom and there will never be another Doom. No one else can or will do it like he did it. All right. You know what, this, like, in this moment right now, I'm very thankful to have this platform and to be amongst friends who understand, like, who Doom was to me and have their own connection with Doom. Like, it's not been an easy one to process. And, yeah, I'm very thankful for you guys for helping me just contextualise my thoughts in a way. Um, yeah. So I guess I'll I'll yield the rest of this time for you guys just to say anything about Doom that you want to say to to Doom like Man, I'd love I would love to sit here all day and just read bars. Like I said this on What's Good, or maybe it was even after the recording on What's Good, but I'm gonna say it again. I want someone to put together a big like like uh, art book, a like a massive art book of just like Doom couplets. With like beautiful like landscape style like paintings or like photographs from like different eras and stuff. Like that would be such a treasured like it could be hundreds of pages long. Hundreds of pages long with just couplets or verses or bars. And it would be so like just nice to read. Right. Yeah. I I have this like almost family tree like image in my head just from our conversation i don't know if it's a family tree or more like a spider web but it's really like his (laughs) web of influence and how it like is central he is like at the center of this thing that is innate about the the you know i mean this is a little corn but like the culture or (laughs) you know space of hip-hop but the the way that his his art kind of webbed out like that um yeah, it's just it's just really interesting and I would love to see like an image of how that kind of kind of how we've talked about it. I mean, I think this podcast has done a little bit of that job, but seeing exactly what aspects of his art and how it weaved into other people's art from him or even before him. Um yeah, I mean, that makes <laughs> that makes him sound very Jesusy, but <laughs> but (laughs) i mean if if we're kind of like idolizing you know this is a very idolizing kind of episode that we're doing for sure oh and i think what's so cool about the way that that it weaved out is that it did so 
very, very naturally. And I think there's even a better word for it than naturally, and I couldn't quite come up with it. But, like, I mean, if you compare... I mean, I guess, okay, I don't really want to make comparisons directly, but if you take if you take an artist, like, backed by a label and all this money and you see how, you know, labels yeah, push artists the word, into these I, spheres... You go for it, Mickey. I just think the word you're looking for is organically. Organically, that is exactly the word I was looking for. Yes, yes. His influence came and webbed out in such an organic way. Like, it wasn't backed by huge money, huge labels. It was backed by... Like, how talented he was, how creative he was, how good his rhymes were, like, how good his production was, how he found these obscure pockets and these ways to connect people and connect artists through this music that, like, again, like, wasn't backed by this massive, like, money thing. And I'm not, and I'm not using that to, like, diminish the influence or the impact of artists who are huge and on major labels, but it does add to the legacy of doom that all this love and connection that people felt through his music is probably one of the most again with the superlative but probably one of the most organic experiences in hip-hop like period yeah and i don't think many i feel like a lot of rappers nowadays like because the the k-pop culture is so established people have an idea of like whose careers they want to model after, you know? Like, I want my legacy to be this, I want my influence to be this. When I'm done, I want the younger rappers to be doing what I was doing and things like that. But I don't think anyone will say, I want the... I want the... Um, uh, the career of Doom. Like, you know, interviewers ask that question, it's like, oh, whose career are you trying to imitate? Like, <laughs> like I don't think anyone... Right, well, no even because even Doom, independent but... rappers, like the independent model now is not the Doom model. The independent model exactly. is the Chance the Rapper model, which right. is very different from the independent model of Doom. You know, it's very yeah. much more of a... It's not driven by big label money, but it's still driven by like, okay, we make the music to support the merch, we do the touring to sell the merch. You know, it's still a business model whereas doom was just like starting at 19 year old man he was a graffiti artist who met some break dancers for a hip-hop collective became a rapper and grew and then went through tragedy and then became something different and became a symbol and all of that just like organically spread through his pure talent and creativity and I say that to say, um, people may not have like been a directly like mentioning him all the time and uh, modeling themselves after him, but when this news hit, it felt like everyone stopped. It was like, oh wait, wait, doom, you know. Everyone kind of had that reaction, no matter what kind of sphere of hip hop you're in. Even like if Playboy Carti said, "R.I.P. Doom," you know. Well, like, you know even, he had the bar. Huh? Yeah, he had the bar, he had the bar. I haven't listened to the album yet, you know. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. That's one another time, though. But, yeah. So, uh, um, Doom's just one of those guys where it's like, he truly, truly, truly was, to say, like, the only tired phrase used around Doom, your favourite rapper's favourite rapper. And, yeah, so, right now, I just want to say, Doom, thank you. Um, I used to read your lyrics 
I used to go on Genius and just read them and, like, kind of say them out loud to myself. And, like, I would just learn so much about writing and rhyming and, like, what, like, just poetry and just the manipulation of the English language. And um, I don't think I've learned more from any other rapper than MF Doom. And, like, everything that I write now is everything that I've written since I became a journalist I've tried to just use his flowery language and I guess that all just comes from doom. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, I'll thank, thank, you. I'll thank, thank you. doom for teaching me that music was so much more than music and that hip-hop in particular and how, you know, it changes the way or at least, you know, changed the way that I consumed music where it became not all about, like, all right, what what just sounds good? Like, what is catchy? What is repeated? What do I enjoy listening to? And more, you know, who are the people who are making it? Why are they making it? Why are they making it in the way that they're making it? Like, it really just opened the doors to understanding so much more about music and the way we consume it. Yeah, I guess. Well, I, <laughs> if we're doing the thank you, Doom <laughs> section of this, I yeah, I mean... It goes back to kind of what I said before about, uh, you know, thank you for being a part of the this kind of initial <laughs> uh, section of my life that made me fall in love with music and discovery. Like, Mad Villainy was literally um, of the four to five things that my cousin showed me and when I first started getting obsessive about finding new music and looking back on the stuff that I hadn't heard that inspired me. So, you know, thanks for... Your music being a part of that, I guess. Doom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Alright then. So, listeners, write in. Tell us your Doom thank yous. Tell us your experience with Doom. Let's just share our love for his music, our love for him. Um, yeah, that's how we keep keep that guy alive. Uh, yeah. Don't forget to check out the uh, piece from Connor. On centralsource.com uh, the doom dedication we did on what's good with charlie taylor and uh and that's that i'll recap the articles we covered real quick just one last time um first we had hip-hop needs no other supervillain after mf doom in vulture by craig jenkins which actually i forgot to mention this earlier but as an interesting note um craig jenkins was one of the journalists who like initially really got me into like what you can do as a music journalist. And I got that through the way that he wrote about Mac Miller, actually, and some of the stuff that he did um, post-mortem when Mac Miller died. So I think it's very fitting to bring his piece on Doom um, to this podcast because, you know, he really is one of those music journalists that spoke to me through that Mac Miller connection. Um, The second piece we had is Hero versus Villain, Rhymes Like Dimes, In Passion of the Weiss by Blockhead. And last but not least, we have Engraved, Not Unmarked, The Legacy of MF Doom by Dylan Green, uh, Cinema Sci, and that is in his newsletter. Rest in peace to Dylan.
This episode of Inserted Source featured Brandon Hill, Michaela Beck, Ryan Gore, The Central Source, Crave Collective. The episode is edited by me, Charlie Taylor, of the Fifth and Podcast Network. Music for the show is fucked up by Basti. Thanks to our records for the ability to use. This has been a Central Source and Fifth and Podcast Network production. Links with Bass, Teacher of Records, Central Source, Fifth Element, and content covered in the episode can all be found in the full show notes below. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you next time as we continue our search for Source. Hold up. 